Blog Talk Radio. everything you want it to be? Are you living a fulfilled, passionate life empowered with choices that ignite you to the next level? Good love makes your whole life better. So join America's good love doctor, Dr. Brenda Wade, on a journey to your healthiest life yet. A regular on Dr. Oz and Dr. Drew, she's appeared on Oprah, Good Morning America, and is featured in countless publications from USA Today to Essence Magazine. The creator of life-changing Get Unstuck Now, Love, Money, and Save a Seminars, she's counseled millions, but today she's here just for you with the hottest topics, guests, and trends. This is Good Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. Ah, hello everyone. So wonderful to be with you right here on Good Love. Get ready. Tonight is a special night. Our topic tonight is create your best life now. And of course, I am your very own Good Love Doctor. And it's so exciting to welcome tonight's guest and to look at this important topic, create your best life now. We all want to live our best life. We want the best in ourselves to come forth, to shine. And tonight we're going to look at the big questions, how do we do that? Now, good love is part of it. But if you're wondering, why do I find myself in the same relationship over and over again? Well, guess what? We've got some answers for you. If you're wondering, how come I can't get my money right and my bills don't go away and I keep repeating the same financial cycle, well, we've got answers for you on money too because love and money go together, everybody. And maybe you're kind of sick and tired of feeling frustrated or feeling life is passing you by. And we've got answers for you on that, too, because our guest today says it's all about asking the right questions. Let me say that again, the right questions so that the right answers will show up. So buckle up. It's going to be a glorious ride into higher consciousness being conscious of higher principles and how they work in your life. And we're going to learn to turn all those things that we think of as blocks into blessings. Turn those stumbling blocks into stepping stones, everyone. Our wonderful guest for the next hour is James Trapp. That is T-R-A-P-P. He's one of the biggest names in the New Thought Ancient Wisdom Movement. This week and every week right here on Good Love, I want you to understand we work with key principles 
And let me review them. The key to good love is knowing what you truly want and deserve. And everybody, this is where we do our mantra together. I am worthy. Breathe it in. Say it out loud. If you're someplace, you can say it out loud. I am worthy. I am deserving. Say that out loud or to yourself if you must. And I love me unconditionally. Feel it. I am worthy and I am deserving and I love me unconditionally. Hold that, repeat that to yourself so your brain begins to hold a new pattern. And I know that James Trop has plenty to say about new patterns and we're going to focus as we always do on why good love is essential to your greatness. How to identify negative love patterns that might be blocking you from the love you want and how you can break free of the chains of what happened back then so you're free to experience what is happening right now. Now, you can join the conversation. We welcome your questions, your comments. Take the number down. It's 347-989-0776. That's 347-989-0776. And push 1 on your handset. That's how we know that you want to participate in the live discussion. And when you press 1, our moderator, Cliff, will call on you. You can also hit us back on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. That's another way to send in your questions. Facebook and Twitter are Dr. Brenda Wade. All right, everyone, let me tell you more about Dr. James Trapp. He's the former president and CEO of Unity Worldwide Ministries. He's currently serving as Senior Minister of Worship at the Spiritual Life Center in Sacramento, California. He's an inspiring speaker and teacher. He has a holistic approach to healing, and that's transformed thousands and thousands of lives. Today, we're going to get something very special from Dr. James Trapp. We are going to get a sneak preview of the concepts that are going to be featured in his upcoming new audio series called Create Your Best Life Now. And that's going to be available soon at www.jamestrapp.com. Don't worry, I'll give you the website and ways to reach him a little later. But let me welcome to Good Love, Dr. James Trapp. Hello, James. Well, hello, Brenda. It is a pleasure to speak with you again. Oh, just great to hear your voice and to know the wisdom you're going to bring. James and I had the tremendous experience, it was tremendous for me, of doing some work together at Unity in Sacramento, just working on how personal transformation can be central to be core for everyone's life and James you've been doing so many things and you've worked on all kinds of fabulous projects and and done incredible things in your life but I know 
that you grew up in humble beginnings, and people often look at people like you and go, oh, this guy has never faced any challenges. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your beginnings. Well, thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm just excited to uh, be part of this show today. And, yes, uh, you know, I always say that, you know, my life, you know, people look at people's lives often at the very moment, and they think it's always been that way. But mine didn't always start out, you know, as, as a wonderful experience that it is now. And, you know, I often share with folks that when I was very young, I was abandoned by my mother. And, of course, when that happens to you at a very young age, you start having ideas that maybe there's something wrong with you. And I thought maybe there's something wrong with me. And it created a void within myself, and I sought to fill that void with outside achievement throughout my life. And what I discovered over time, that whenever you try to get satisfaction from something from the outside, what inevitably happens is that you have dissatisfaction. And I never really got that satisfaction, so I ended up going through riotous living and uh, addictive living, and then I lost everything that I thought was important. And then I had a series of events that helped me discover a different perspective on who I was, I mean, who I truly was. And it didn't come from anything outside of me. It was not dependent upon, you know, my past, what happened good or did not happen good in my life. But rather what happened was I discovered that all I needed was already here. Well, let me back up because we're going to go deeply into your discovery. But I really want people to know that you have overcome. When I grew up, um, there were all these songs when I was a little girl in church about overcoming. You know, you grew up having been abandoned by your mom and growing up in poverty, nonetheless, you went on to Princeton University and became an attorney in Miami. And I know during that period, those were very turbulent years. You spoke about addictive illness during that time. Can you tell us just a little more just so we get a little snapshot of how that little boy ended up at Princeton and then became a lawyer and then became an addict? Well, like I said, one of the things that I was uh, seeking to do was fill a void that was in me. And we often do it in a lot of different ways. For me, I felt that in order for me to feel okay about myself, that I had to achieve. And that achievement started getting directed into, you know, work at school and doing well and, and being part of organizations and seeking to stand out because I was trying to feel okay about myself. So I put a lot of energy into that. And it was helpful. I mean, I was very successful in that path. But as I indicated, you know, even if you don't really find your true self, all the things in the outer will never fill a void that you believe that you have. (laughs) You can't do it. You know, it's just not going to happen. And so yeah, it after, may look good, but at the yeah. end of the day, it'll feel bad. Is that what yeah. you're saying? That's right. You may have all the outer trappings, you know, you know, the the money and the house and and all the things that at least society says makes you successful, but they don't necessarily know what's going on within you. Mm-hmm. And unless you unless you address that, 
then other things outside will never give you the satisfaction and a sense of who you really are. Wow. And so so I reached a point in which, despite all of that, I never could fill that void that I believed was there. It was never really there, but it was in my mind. It was a belief. And so I sought to try to compensate for that, you know, by drugs and alcohol and uh, as a result of that, my life started falling apart very rapidly in a short period of time. But I always tell people that that was probably one of the best things that happened to me because I stopped looking outside of myself to get that kind of satisfaction, and I had to come to a place where I had to do a lot of self-examination. Who was I really? Why was I here? What was important? And I went through a... Uh, a rehab center for about six months. And uh, I always say that everyone at some point in their life should, if they can, take six months in which you can really do a great deal of self-examination because there's nothing more important than understanding yourself to begin to create the life that you really want. Mm-hmm. But that was really valuable for me. And I, and I came to the understanding that it wasn't anything outside of me that could give me satisfaction, that I had to really accept myself fully for who I am and who I was and always will be uh, as a child of God, as an expression of the Creator. And that in and of itself was enough. And regardless of what my past has been as how I interpreted it to be, that does not have the final word. Interesting. So what you're saying is on your journey, one of the ways you were compensating for your mom not being there was to achieve and prove your worth. That didn't work because you got everything you could want. A prince in education became an attorney. And then you started, I would say, you know, from my perspective, uh, filling up with drugs and alcohol, Everybody who's been on that journey usually comes back and goes, wow, I felt numb but emptier than ever. And then there was a turning point. You did your six months of self-reflection and rehab and got a chance to connect with the truth. Now, what was the, the kind of foundation principle that you came in contact with that turned things around for you because everyone, I want you to know, as James is sharing, wherever you are in your life, whatever is going on in your life, these are principles you can apply. Our focus is love, but believe me, it's not possible to have good love if there are issues of self-love, self-esteem, addiction, money, any of the many things that can get in the way. So make a careful note, careful note as James is sharing these principles. Well, for me, the very first thing that I had to come to grips with was the sense of guilt that I had for what I thought I had done to my life. And the thing that really helped me get out of that was practicing the principle of forgiveness. That was was number one. I had to forgive myself for what I thought I had done because on top of my own, you know, lack of self-love, really what it came down to, I had piled up on that a lot of things that I did, I'm not proud of, that 
made me even feel more uh, uh, worthless or unworthy uh, than I had before. And when I, when I went, it was a process for me. It wasn't something that happened immediately. But I had to keep working on it, keep working on it until I came to the realization that, you know, Spirit, God never was in a state of unforgiveness toward me, that the only lack of forgiveness is what I had toward myself. And when I was able to reach that point through my own process, I woke up one day and all that sense of guilt that I seemed to be weighing me down seemed to disappear. And when I was able to get to that point, it created a clearing where I began to see the world and myself. So James, for a lot of people, I have experienced in my years of work, this is one of the hardest things. One of the hardest things is to forgive ourselves. I know most people have an easier time forgiving somebody else than forgiving themselves. Now, how did you do it? How did you go about self-forgiveness? Are there any any signs, any anything you can give us? You know, those who want to work on self-forgiveness, and I believe there's always more self-forgiveness yes. we can do. Everybody. Yes. Well, you know, you know, I don't think it ever ends. I think we're always in a practice of of, of you know forgiving ourselves. Because part of it is that sometimes we're conditioned by society to say there's something missing or something wrong with us, and you know, advertisers have a way of taking advantage of that to get us to buy stuff we don't need to try to make up for that. But I think the thing that was was most important is that I had to begin to reinterpret my own sense of worth. Uh, for me. You know, that sense of not being worthy had its root from that belief and of abandonment. I had to begin to reevaluate that. And the thing I had to realize is that, you know, as a, as a child of the universe, as a child of God, you are never abandoned. You always have a loving presence that loves you no matter what. You know, we have to, and I believe that when you begin to accept that there's something that's loving you, a presence, a power that is there all the time, regardless of what you may think about yourself, then you have the opportunity to begin to get in the flow of that and have that same sort of self-love. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy process for me. So I had individual counseling, working with people to begin to reinterpret what I thought I had done to myself in the past and realize that uh, I can begin to re-look at that from a different perspective and there was a blessing in that for me. I had to begin to look at my, my mother, who I thought uh, had abandoned me, and to begin to see that from a different perspective and say, well, I don't really know what was going on in her life and her experiences that led to that uh, experience of uh, you know, leaving myself and my sister, by, that, by the way. And, and this is make the story, long story short, eventually, uh, many years later, almost 30 years later, I was... I actually found my mother and reconciled with her. That's a whole different story. Wow, that's powerful. Yes, and part of it was I had to begin to change what I was focusing on. You know, when I looked at my mom, for example, I, I looked at her for the perspective that, well, there was something I may have done or she had done that was wrong. And I was having that viewpoint of her and myself. 
But I had a very interesting story that someone said, you know, think about something positive that happened between you and your mom. And I remember when I was very young, I was in the backyard, uh, you know, in our house, and I, there was a beehive back there. And uh, being a little mischievous child, I would go there with a stick and hit the beehive and run. And I did this two or three times, and the last time I came, I think they were ready for me because they came and attacked me like, you know, the hell's angels or the, uh, you know, in a formation coming directly at me. So I got stung all over my head, all over my neck, and, you know, I had oh, no. and, and And what happened was I began to remember my mother holding me, caressing me. Mm. So that that created a whole different picture between how I saw myself and my mother than the other stories I had made up. Mm. So everyone, make a note. You got to change. This is so powerful because, James, you know, I know, most of us know that children make up beliefs and stories about themselves when parents aren't there or parents are inconsistent or parents hurt them. The child never says, my poor mother, oh dear, my mother was suffering from whatever was going on and the best she could do was abandon me and it has nothing to do with me. Children always say, What's wrong with me? Yes. Why couldn't she love me? Why couldn't she stay? Oh, my God, I must be. And then people make up, I've heard it all, ugly, stupid, um, unlovable, unworthy, deserve to be punished. I've heard it all, and I know you have too. Yes. But what an incredible process of healing. And you made me laugh when you talked about the bees coming in formation. You know, I'm very visual. I can yeah. see them in that bee form like fighter pilots coming yeah, after exactly. you. Yeah. I am sorry you got stung, though, James. Well, that's all right. I- I've gotten over it. <laughs> <laughs> Forgave the bees, too, I hope. Yes, yes. But that, that was a very important thing. I had to begin to retell the stories I had about myself, I had about my relationship with my mother, and that began to lead me to a point where I can begin to release my self-judgment and my judgment mm-hmm. of my mother. And, and there was something that you said earlier and, you know, had folks going through their, your affirmation about, you know, you're worthy and wonderful and loving. And, and one of the things that I learned early on is that, you know, a lot of folks do not have that self-love where they can forgive themselves. And someone told me that what you should do every morning when you – look in the mirror, to look in that mirror and to say, I love you every day. Mm. And if your mirror does not have your lip prints on it, you need to start, you know, <laughs> every morning. And, you know, and I actually was doing that uh, with my, for myself, you know, just, you know, saying I love you. And I tell you, in the beginning, it was very uncomfortable, you know, right. to be able to look yourself in the eye and say you love yourself. Yes. But after a while, it became normal. It became something I began to accept. And as you begin to accept that you indeed are worthy of your own self-love, then your whole mindset starts to change. You begin to create and live a life that's more in alignment and in tune with that belief 
than the belief that you're not lovable or you don't love yourself because if you have that mindset, you will live it out in your life. Exactly. It'll you know, come out it. in self-sabotage, won't it? Yes, it will. You know, and it may be very, very subtle. Uh, you may not even see it happening, but over time, if that mindset is not there, that you are indeed loving t- toward yourself, you're worthy as, a, as, a, as an expression of the Creator, then you will begin to live out your belief. And that is a foundational principle that is important to create the life that you're worth, worth having. Oh, my goodness. This is so powerful. Everyone, if you have questions for Dr. James Tropp, who is sharing with such honesty and humility and power his journey from feeling like an abandoned, unloved, unlovable child to forgiveness, to discovering self-love. If you have a question or comment, hit us back on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and certainly send us an email or call in. Calling might be the fastest, easiest way Then we can talk with you with James Tropp. That number is 347-989-0777. Seventy-six at three four seven nine eight nine zero seven seven six. When you dial in, you have to push one on the receiver of your phone right on your handset. So Cliff, our moderator, will know to call on you, and we'll be looking for your questions and comments. But what a powerful journey you've had, James! And one of the things you've touched on is how self-forgiveness, self-love break through those shackles of what we call self-sabotage. And some of that is looking at not only how you feel about yourself, but your thoughts about yourself. Yes. Yes, your thoughts are extremely powerful. You know, we, you know, psychologists or others estimate that we probably have tens of thousands of thoughts every day. Mm-hmm. Some of them are some of them are positive, which is great, and some of them are not positive, which is not necessarily a good thing. And I always say you probably can't have too many positive thoughts, but too many negative thoughts will start creating an experience that you will not want to have. You know, because we say things to ourselves, you know, I can't do that, or there's something wrong with me, and I shouldn't try to do this, or maybe I'll fail. Uh, and, and we have these, these, these things that come through our minds, and so we have to begin to be aware of what is it that uh, we're thinking because if we don't, we won't be able to break up this self-sabotaging cycle that we have. Yeah, and you know, I was teaching a class earlier today, and one of the gentlemen in our class was struggling to figure out what his negative thoughts were. And you know what came to me, and this is for anybody who wants to borrow this benefit, you can tell what your habitual negative thoughts are if you look at your life. Absolutely. Whatever area of your life is the area where you're struggling is the area where you've built up some negative thoughts. Is that right, James? Oh, absolutely. You know, I said if, if, if you're absolutely right. I, I use the same technique with others that I to. They said they're not really certain what their thoughts are. I said, well, begin to look at your environment. Begin to look at the people that you hang around with. Begin to look at where you're stuck. And usually there is a thought pattern there 
that is leading to that experience. And one of the things I suggest folks do is just take some time and go into meditation and silence and just observe the thoughts that sometimes bubble up in your mind. Because if you observe your thoughts closely, you'll begin to see a pattern of what comes up. If, a, if you have a particular experience, you, we often have a response or a reaction to those things. And it begins with our thinking. And you can't really change yourself, your life, unless you are aware. You have to have a sense of self-awareness. And one of the techniques that helps me you know, it's just get every morning just to, you know, begin to, you know, go into that silence and observe those thoughts. And, you know, part of the meditation practice is not to get energy to them. But when they come up throughout the day, you examine them and ask, well, is this true? This thought mm. that I have. So you talk, yeah, about empowering questions. And right there, when you stop a thought and say, is this true, that's a very empowering question, isn't it? Yes, yes it is, because oftentimes we will accept thoughts and just assume that they're true. They're true, I should say. And I always tell people, don't believe every thought that you think. (laughs) Half of what we think is absolutely wrong. Absolutely, because I I say, you know, most of those thoughts that we have come from the school of MSU. We're making stuff up. Making stuff up, MSU. All right, everybody, write that down, MSU. (laughs) We're making stuff up. And, And so we have to begin to say, wait a minute, that thought, I'm just making that up. It's not, it's not true. There's no way it could be true. And we have to tell ourselves kind of in a stern way, stop. That is not true. And begin to substitute a new idea uh, once we identify a thought that we know that is not true. And then to begin to act in accordance with the new thoughts that we Mm. Well, back up here with me for a minute, because Mm. for a lot of people, when we've made this stuff up, we've rehearsed it for so long, we're like lawyers building a case. The file gets thicker and thicker, because often when I challenge people on their thinking, you know what they say to me? Look at the evidence. Oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> see, see, see this, see this, see this. And we have to walk backwards through how once you start making stuff up, MSU, you look for evidence that what you made up must be true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, once we kind of have a made-up mind that something is true, we just go and find and pick and choose anything around us that will support that. But if we begin to create a new thought, a new idea, and we begin to embody that, then what will happen, we'll begin to see those things that support that new idea, that new thought, and then our actions will be more in alignment with that to make it our reality. And, and part of the things I say to help change your, your thought is also just create a new action that is not in tune with your old thought. And if you do that enough, your thought will also conform to your actions. So it's really both. It's your thinking and your actions. But your thinking is very important. You've got to start with that. 
Wow. All right. We're building a model, everybody. We've got self-forgiveness. We've got looking in the mirror and covering the mirror with your lip print so you start loving yourself. And you must start looking at your MSU, the stuff you made up, and question, could I be wrong Is there some alternate interpretation or explanation? Could I have made up something that wasn't true? And this is like what you made up about your mom, that she had never been there and never loved you. Yes. And so you were able to break through. So one thing, James, is we are working with the self-love, and I want to go to the mirror work. Again, one of my spiritual teachers used to say, look in the mirror and kiss yourself and say, I love you, she would say seven times, seven different ways, so it never gets wrote, like I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, in which case there's no energy in that, but I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, seven different ways, because she would always say the mirror is reflecting to us reflecting the image as well as those words to us. Anything else that you would offer around building that core self-love? Because there's the antidote to self-sabotage. Yes. Well, one of the things that I always believe is that you, you almost create your spiritual mastermind group. Oh, yes. You've got to have people around you that are where you want to be in your life and as far as how they treat themselves, how they act in the world, and you want to surround yourself with that kind of energy. And, you know, you might even sit down with a person like that and, and ask, you know, what is the things that you do that allows you to be successful in what you're doing or negotiate life in the way that you're negotiating your life? Because I think we can look at, uh, folks around us and find out what can we model that works for them and make that part of our life. Because I believe any successful person, a person that you know, has a self-love or a person who's successful in finances or prosperity or in business or relationships, whatever they are, I've discovered one thing. They have a very particular what I call conversational paradigm. They speak in a way that reinforces their success. So you might want to ask yourself, what kind of conversational paradigm does a person who is successful financially, how do they speak? Or someone who's great in relationships, how do they speak? Because their spoken word also influences how they act. Absolutely. And I love it that you talked about mastermind community. And, you know, we have one that I've been working with for about three years now, and you're touching one of our core tools. In our mastermind program, we teach conscious language because what we're saying and the way we use words Absolutely. I call it broadcasting the signal. Broadcast the signal in terms of sitting down with somebody who can give you signposts. 
we're sitting down right now with Dr. James Trapp, everybody, and we are absolutely getting powerful signposts from you, James. This is so deep. But we have a question that just came in from Facebook, and we're going to take that real quick. Here's a person who is relating to what you said about healing from addiction. This person says, I just came out of rehab. I didn't get six months. I got 90 days, and I feel so shaky. What would you tell me to do next? Well, as we, as you know, that once once you have gone through that process, you are always seeking to to solidify your strength in your sobriety. And one of the things that was always very helpful to me, in addition to that, for a long time, I was I was always part of a twelve step program. Uh, so I would go around people who were also on the path and would show me positive ways to keep me you know, clean and sober along the way. Uh, I found a wonderful sponsor who was helpful to me, and I actually walked through all of the steps that are part of the 12-step program, which in, in many respects, we're aware that they all come from the ancient wisdom teachings. You know, it's not really a sobriety program. It's a spiritual program. And if you work those steps in that program, you will continue to get deeper into your spiritual self. And I believe you get almost like a force field that protects you from any of the, 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 the slings and arrows that will try to take you off your path along the way. So, you know, it's almost getting together with a group of people of like mind so we can, so you can support one another. It's kind of a mastermind. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a a time of a mastermind group because... And you know, I never thought of 12-step groups in that way before, but you know, this is a mastermind program where the power of all these minds moving in the same direction toward sobriety toward healing toward life getting better and james i have to add this there have been a number of studies done on which programs are the best programs to support sobriety and over and over and over the 12-step programs do come out on top and when the researchers go back and they say gee what was it that's different about this program versus any other, that it could be better. The only difference is the spiritual component. Now, I know it's not for everybody, and for those of you who, you know, may have had some God experiences that turned you off when you were growing up, there is an alternate program called SMART, and that has no spiritual component. It's more based on uh, questioning your thinking and cognitive behavioral techniques. So check that out if it doesn't work for you to do spiritual. But those who are aligned with spiritual, there is something about that force field that is so very, very powerful. And so many people have, like you, James, have been able to feel the power of it. Thank you for that question, Anonymous, who sent that question, and we appreciate it. And anyone else who wants to send in a question, hit us back on Facebook, Dr. Brenda Wade. uh, Tweet, Dr. Brenda Wade. Cliff will be picking up your Facebook questions, your tweets, and you can always do the old school thing of actually talking to us 
347-989-0776. All right, James, speaking of spiritual, mm-hmm. what are the kinds of things? You mentioned meditation. What are some of the other things we can do, those who want to deepen their spiritual experience, who want to really operate in that force field, and I call it the power field. How do you do it? Well, you know, it's, 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 it is a process. I, I believe that the, I start with the idea that meditation and prayer and meditation, I'm talking about affirmative prayer, is the foundation. Now, of, back of up, what is affirmative prayer? For those who aren't familiar with affirmative prayer, how is that different from any other kind of prayer? What is that? Well, traditional prayer, there's the belief that there's some power outside of you that, you know, you have to beg and beseech or somehow get them to give you you some favor on your behalf. And affirmative prayer already assumes that you have everything that you need. And all you're doing is just really firming up the truth of who you are. So you don't have to, you know, beg an external God to bring you health or to bring you happiness or bring you prosperity. Affirmative prayer just says, I affirm health and wholeness. I affirm my prosperity. I affirm my right relationship because this is the nature of the spirit, the nature of God. And all you're doing is reminding yourself what is already there rather than trying to get something outside of you to give you something that you think you do not have. You already do have it, but maybe you've forgotten. And this prayer approach simply firms up the truth so that you have that vibration, that energy that attracts and creates the conditions for that truth to come forth. Wow, that is so different. I can remember being in Sunday school. That is so different from the kinds of prayers most of us were taught, but it's very uplifting because it's in line with what you said about changing your thoughts and your words. Even the prayer is positive yeah. and affirmative. Yes. Again, you know, the, the, I always say there's two kinds of, uh, you know, those affirmative prayers. You're, you know, sometimes you're just affirming, you know, the truth of your being. And then sometimes you're just affirming what you would want to see experienced in your life. Okay, because that's another way to, uh, you know, use prayer to say, I already have what I need. I just need to be the right person. See, the prayer is not changing anything outside of you. What prayer does is just affirms and, 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 and transforms who you are so that your life reflects the truth of your being. So it's a different approach. Yeah, it is a different approach, James. It is so different. And are affirmations part of this process when you talk about affirmative prayer and meditation? You know, a prayer, we're talking, meditation, we're listening. But where do affirmations fit in your mind? Well, affirmations are a, you know, a type of self-talk. You know, for me, when I'm doing an affirmation, I am firming up, okay, this is who I really am. This is what I want to experience in my life now. And my 
words begin to affect my awareness. They affect my consciousness. They affect my energy. And so I want to use empowering words that uplift and transform so that my energy field is something that is attracting the health, the wholeness, the love, the vitality, the vigor, and all the good stuff that you know, the Creator has for us rather than saying the woe is me, there's something wrong with me, because we begin to create that experience if we accept that. Even though it's not the truth of our being, as someone told me, a lie believed access truth until we neutralize it with the truth. Wait a minute. Truth, Repeat that. Repeat that. <laughs> a lie acts as truth until we neutralize it with the truth. In other words, we create that making stuff up, and then we begin to create that experience, even though that's not the essence of who we are. And so we have to interrupt that with the truth of who we are a loving expression of spirit, a loving expression of God, and a lovable being. Mm, so that self-love is one of the ways to actually begin to see new positive possibilities in our lives. Yeah, because if you love yourself, you're not going to do anything that's going to be unloving towards you. You're not going to act in a way that's going to be unloving. You're not going to speak to yourself in unloving ways. And that's why I believe that is probably the foundation to uh, a successful life, to a transformed life. I've always had the belief that if every child on the planet got up and began to express self-love to themselves, we transform the world in a nanosecond because we would be living in accordance with that love. Wow. For ourselves and everyone else. That's very powerful. Now, I have to tell a little story about my first experience with affirmations. I came out of school with a whole bunch of student loans, broke, 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 broke. Can you spell broke? And at that time, I was depressed as all get out, and somebody said to me, you need to go to a Unity church. That was my first experience with Unity, because I had long since decided church was for the birds. It had been a totally negative experience for me growing up. And I went in the church, and they were talking about affirmations. And I said, okay, can you give me some affirmations for money? Because I'm broke, and I've got student loans coming out of my ears. And the teacher there, I'll never forget, her name was Lilani Burt, said, all right, start doing these affirmations. So I was walking around going, I am a money magnet. And I'm, the other part of me is going, this is kind of ridiculous. And James, I'll tell you the truth, checks started coming to me in the mail. Yes. Checks that didn't even make sense to me. Mm-hmm. A check from the state of California that was an income tax return check, and I had never worked in the state of California. I had been living in the state of Washington for 10 years. And I got an income tax return check. I got checks from people who claimed I had lent them money while I was a student, and I could barely feed myself when I was a student. So I'm just saying, I want to give my own little, as the old folks used to say in church, i got to testify (laughs) that... There's something here with these affirmations because the power of the mind, as you've said, is tremendous. 
yes, yes. Now give us a little more insight on some of these questions you mentioned earlier. Well, if I may build a little bit on on the affirmations and, and and how you can ask questions that even make the affirmations more powerful. Ooh. You know, one of the things that I've been working with lately, I always say that, you know, somebody says you get not because you ask not. You know, there's something very powerful about asking the right kinds of questions. And let's say, and it, you're, you know, let's take the money thing. That's usually one of the big things people have. You know, I worked at Unity in, in their silent Unity prayer room. I would say there were three things people always ask about, money, relationship, and health. Those are the top three all the time, and relationships was always a big one. And what I've discovered that what you know, you can not only just have an affirmation to say that you know I am a money magnet, but you might want to ask this question: You imagine that you've already attracted all the resources that you need, and you ask yourself, how was I able to attract all this money that I need in my life? And what happens? Our minds are just naturally going to try to answer a question that we bring to ourselves. So if we ask ourselves that question, how was I able to do that, even before it happens, your mind will start going toward finding the solutions to get you to answer that question in the way that you've asked it. So in other words, you'll find the answers to that question. So we tend to get answers to the questions that we ask. And I always tell people that if you're going through a challenge in your life, you don't want to ask, how can this get any worse? Because (laughs) the the ears of the universe will perk up metaphorically, and Mm -hmm. it will give you all kinds of ways that it will get worse. You want to ask, what is the blessing in here to help me grow, develop, and transform and your mind and your heart will start looking for answers for that, and you'll find the blessing, you'll find the lesson, you'll find the transformation in it because you're asking a more empowering question rather than a disempowering question. Mm. So you've got to ask empowering questions, and if you ask those empowering questions, you will begin gravitating to get the answers to the question that you So asked. an empowering question is a question we ask, no matter how it looks, we still say, how was I able to attract all of these resources in my life? Yes. And and your mind will start going to finding the answers to bring that into your reality. We get answers to the questions that we ask. And so that's a very important uh, I think kind of nuance to even giving our affirmations more power. Not only do we affirm it, but you might want to ask, well, how was this able to happen in my life? And you begin to find ways to make it happen. Okay, so we affirm plus ask empowering questions. All right, everybody. We're going to do both those things, plus kiss yourself in the mirror, plus do your self-forgiveness. This is a program of personal transformation, isn't it, James? Absolutely, because that's, that's what we're about, I believe. Our life is to grow, develop, transform, you know, to break away from, you know, the highly charged thoughts of the world that we get bombarded with that, you know, would have us believing that there's something less about us than we really are. And so, speaking of thoughts of the world, 
you know, we get very hooked on what people think of us or what's going on out there in the world and say that that is forming the limitation that we have to believe in. How do you deal with that? Ooh, that's a, that's a really good question. I was speaking to uh, one of our staff today, and they were asking about how is it that you deal with, you know, the distracting opinions of other people that will always kind of put you down and put doubts in your mind and, and so forth. Uh, because a lot of it has to do with how we feel about ourselves. If we don't feel good about ourselves, then we'll get thrown off course by other people's criticisms. Because, you know, whenever you start moving toward, you know, doing positive things in the world, you'll get attacked by mediocrity. That's just kind of how it is. A lot of people who are not doing anything in their life, they're going to try to attack you for trying to do something in your life. But one of the things that I believe that's important to help us get out of that being distracted by other people's opinions and where they think about us and the trolls and the so-called haters, we have to find something in our life that is more powerful than any negative pull by any distractions around us. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I found has been helpful is you know, just doing this exercise to show how powerful this can be. And someone taught me this. He said, that, you know, just imagine that, you know, you had a loved one that had an incurable disease or something and, and they were not going to live beyond six months. And, but somehow you were able to go into some remote rainforest and find a shaman who had a cure. But this was a capitalist rainforest guy, a shaman, and he said, well, it's going to cost you a million dollars and you had six months to raise that million dollars. Now, most of the time we say, oh, there's no way I could get a million dollars. But if you have a strong enough reason to do anything, your mind will figure out a way to make it happen. And if that loved one needed that, you would figure out a way to attract the money to get the cure to save their life. So in our life, we got to have stuff that is so compelling that we don't get thrown off course by others who would try to, you know, be those haters and trolls and distractors in our life because we have something far more powerful than that that is pulling us in the direction to achieve what we want to achieve. So, now, what could that be for people who are saying, all right, thank God I don't have anybody, a loved one, you know, mm -hmm. who's at death's door, but, but what pulls us forward? What keeps us on track, even when other people are going, well, who do you think you are? Or, gee, that person is, uh, they're too big for their britches, or whatever kinds of things yeah. we're afraid people will think or say. Well, for me, I think one of the things that's important, you've got to find, you know, what is your unique purpose and reason for being? Hmm. Once, once you identify that, because I believe that every person no matter what, has something that they can do that no one else in the world can do in the way that they do it, and that we are here to express that particular gift. And when we get clear that this is my purpose, this is my reason for being, and you're rooted in that and you're anchored in that, the winds may blow around you, but you will not be moved because you're living your truth you're living your purpose and it, it takes you know sometimes a little while some people know right away this is what I've come here to be 
some it takes a little while to develop and find what that is, but we all have it within us. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've found has been helpful is to help uncover you know, our gifts is to just look at people around us that we admire and then ask, well, what about the qualities that they have in their life? What is it that I admire about them? And then begin to write down what those things are. You know, like, for example, one of my heroes is Nelson Mandela, and I would say, well, he was courageous and compassionate and a, and a visionary and, and so forth. And I identify people that I gravitate to, find out what those qualities are that they have. I write them down, and then I would say, well, this is who I have come here to be. And I write and I list those qualities, and I would say that I know this is true, because I see it in others. Ah, so it could be true for me because I see it in others. Yes. That's powerful. Yeah, because you can never see in someone else what is not already within you. And Ooh, if you see those qualities, then they're, they're, they're laying there dormant, waiting to be expressed. And that's one way you can begin to identify your purpose, and then you begin to identify how can I express this? What vehicle do I find or what should I find that will help me express it? But it, the, our purpose is not necessarily what we do. It's really the qualities that we bring to what we do, and then we continue to find ways to express it in different different ways. Wow. All right. James Trapp, we only have a couple minutes left with you, and we have one question here from Facebook. This person says, I've been looking for my life purpose for years, and I haven't found it. <laughs> well, that, that is a common question or situation that people often bring to us. And I say, you know, number one, I would try that exercise of just, you know, identifying those qualities. But also, you have to start out with the idea that everyone has something to express that's unique. I think you have to start out with that foundation. Now, you may not find it right away, but I always say you start with something, you know, some ideas that I think this is in the direction that I ought to be going in, and then you, you pursue that. And then what will happen is that Spirit will redirect you, refine your course along the way as long as you are moving in a direction. Just try something that seems to be in alignment with what you feel you should do. So just start moving, okay? So that was from Lucy on Facebook. Lucy, did you get that? James is saying just start moving in a direction that seems to be a direction you like. Now, James, I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom, sharing your journey. I want everyone to be able to be in touch with you. So everybody, let me give you this information so you too can be in touch with the brilliant and the very, very wise Dr. James Trapp. Go to www.jamestrapp.com. 
And it is so important for each of us, James, on our journey to love ourselves, forgive ourselves, seek our purpose, get moving, question some of those negative thoughts, and unhook from what somebody else thinks about us. Thank you for inspiring us. And so wonderful, James, to have you. We'll have you back again. All right, everyone, it's always a joy and a privilege to be with you on Good Radio. Thanks to our brilliant on Radio.